Amen. I thank the Lord for the truth of those songs. Take your Bible today and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. What a great honor it is for us to be able to be here today. I just want to thank Pastor Don uh, for uh, helping us to get here today and uh, enjoy that music. I tell you what, doesn't he do a great job? I tell you what, we travel all over the country. Uh, Every week we're in a different church. Matter of fact, in the summertime, near about every day we're in a different church. And I tell you, Pastor Don is probably the best music guy that you're going to find. How many of you believe that to be true? He's fantastic. I know that probably makes him uncomfortable for me to say, uh, but I do know that, you know, when the Lord is on somebody like their own uh, Pastor Don, I just thank the Lord for his worship attitude and the way that he leads this church. I always enjoy coming and being here today, uh, being here all of the time, but thank you so much for being here this morning. Before we look into God's Word, I know that some of you may not be as familiar with Southeastern Free Will Baptist College. Uh, we are in Wendell, North Carolina, just outside of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. My name is Heath Ferguson. I'm the promotional director there at the college. I have the opportunity to travel uh, with these young people. There's actually an ensemble of young people that we travel with every single weekend. And uh, Pastor Don took him five years to go through college. I only did it in four. (laughs) I don't know what that makes me. We've got one that's going to do it in seven in our group. So we're pretty excited about how much money that student's going to give the college when it's all said and done. But anyway... We'd love for you to find out a little bit more about our college, and we have some materials out in the back. And if you don't know about Southeast, you'd like to get on our mailing list. We send out the standard. It comes out free of charge to you every three months, and uh, you can sign up for that in the back there. It tells you a little bit about what is going on and what has happened and what is going to happen at our college. And then also, if you are a high school student or if you know a high school student, if you'd fill out one of these cards, you can find them out on the table as well. Uh, We'd love to be in contact with high school students. What Southeastern Free Will Baptist College does is train young people for ministry, for full-time Christian service. And I believe we live in a day that we've never lived in before in that there's never been a greater need for people to serve the Lord Jesus Christ on a full-time basis. I do believe that God is calling. I think God is always calling people, not just young people, but people into his service. And if God is calling a young person or any person to train for ministry, then Southeastern Free Will Baptist College is one of those opportunities that they have. And so we want to do the best that we can to to, uh, be in touch with high school students and with any person that's uh, interested in serving the Lord in a full-time Christian service. And I thank the Lord uh, for you and for uh, giving us the opportunity to be here today. We do want to look at the Word of God because that's the important reason. That's what changes the lives of people. As you can see there, Philippians chapter 3, it says beginning in verse number 12, and I'm actually going to begin reading in verse number 10. The Bible says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. What a great verse. If you underline verses in your Bible, you ought to underline that verse. Verse number 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. In Christ Jesus. This morning, I want to give you four things very quickly about pressing towards the mark. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, it is a privilege for us to be able to be in your house today. It's a privilege for us to be able to be here with these folks. Lord, what a great welcome that they've given us already. 
Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, that the truths that are there you would bring to the surface, that we would able to, uh, to be able to see them and to change our lives, Lord, as uh, you speak to our hearts. And God, I pray that we would leave here different people than when we came in. God, I pray more than anything, if there's somebody here today that is unsaved, Lord, I pray they'll give their heart and life to you today before it's eternally too late. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you. We promise to give you all the praise and glory for it all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What a great day to be in church. Beautiful weather outside. We've been uh, in Ohio. It's always good to come back to Michigan when you've been in Ohio. I'm thankful to be able to be back. I was actually born just outside of Detroit in Farmington Hills, and, and uh, I've got to some family that still live in Michigan, so it's a great honor, blessing for me to be able to come back. Beautiful weather outside. The, the Red Wings are up, one nothing. This is a good day. It's a, are they here? I don't, I, I don't just, Great day. I mean, I, I'm actually a Red Wings fan, and so, uh, you know, I try to keep an eye on the wings whenever I can, all that stuff. Such a, a great moment. I was watching a little bit of the game last night, and, and uh, Cleveland lost, and so that's an Ohio team that lost, so that's probably a good thing if your Pistons can't be in it and the Red Wings won. Just a, a beautiful day in sports. And they won one game yesterday. They're up in this series one to nothing. And as I began to think about sports, and I played sports my entire life, you know the goal uh, for the Red Wings is not to win one game in the Stanley Cup Finals. It's to win four. Then you get to hold that gigantic, you know, trophy over your head, Lord Stanley's trophy, and skate around the ring and kiss it, you know, and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and man, what a, what a great thing that is. But there's always a team that loses. I don't get anything. Losers is what they are. The winners get their name engraved on the trophy. The losers just get to go home and wish they can do it again next year. It was sad yesterday watching the basketball game, the Cavaliers uh, losing to the Orlando Magic and LeBron James sitting on the floor crying, you know. <laughs> it's funny, they're crying. He didn't reach the goal. That's why he was so upset. You know, as we read this scripture, as we read this passage, verse number 14 very clearly states to us that there is a a prize, there is a goal that we are trying to reach, and not one that's involved in sports, but one that's involved in God and in living for Jesus Christ. And how is it that verse number 14 can be true in our life? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How do I get to that mark? Well, we're going to take a look at this passage, and it's very, very simple this morning. Verse number 12 The Bible makes the statement as Paul is writing to the Philippian church, not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He uses a word there three times, the word apprehended. I want you to notice, first of all, this morning that we can never be content just to compete. Never be content just to compete. He makes the statement, not as though I had already attained. He is making it, he's saying this, I'm not satisfied with my life. He's saying, I need more in my life. Friend, he wanted more. I believe that's what separates the Apostle Paul from the rest of us. We all need more. We all need to live for the Lord Jesus Christ more. But not everybody wants to live for Jesus Christ more. The Bible tells us in verse number 12 and 13, he's using that word apprehend. He he literally is saying this, I have been in the grip of Jesus Christ and I'm going after that and I'm trying to to get that in my grip of what's been gripped of me. And he's saying, I want to live for the Lord as best I can, as much as I can. He's making this statement saying, look, I, I can be content with what I have, but I can't be content with who I am. And I fear today as we travel across this country, 
We find churches that are full of people who are content with where they are in the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And friend, it's such a dangerous place to be when you stop and say, I've already attained. I'm where I ought to be. I think Paul actually makes a statement of maturity here where he says, well, I'm not everything that I need to be, but I'm working to be what God wants me to be. If we were all honest enough with ourselves today, we could step forward and say, you know, I, I've not lived exactly the way that God would have for me to live. I've not been as faithful to the Lord as I need to be. I've not done all the things that God would want for me to do. We could all be honest in saying that, but how many of us could really be honest and say, but I want to do better. And I don't mean the kind of want where, you know, in just a little while you're going to go eat lunch and you say, well, I can't wait to go eat lunch. I want to eat lunch. But one where you actually pull a snack out of your pocket and eat it because you're serious about eating. I mean, have you ever met somebody like that before? People who carry snacks into church so they can eat something during the service if it goes too long. That's why you come to the early service, by the way, because it's got to be over at 11. <laughs> but I know that if we're honest with ourselves, we're not always what we want to be. You know, Paul is trying to tell us here it's important for us to have potential in life, but at some point, it's not good to have potential anymore. we got to start attaining what God would have for us. You look at these young men that sing up here, and you say, wow, what great potential they have in their uh, teenage years. And, and I look over at the teen group, and they say, wow, what great potential they have here. But it's terrible when you look at a group of 40- and 50-year-olds and say, there's just still potential here. We've never reached forward. We've just been content with where we are. And then we're content to compete for the Lord. And friend, I want to say this. There's always some kid that just wants to be on the team. But not everybody wants to excel and be a winner. And friend, I want to encourage you this morning in your heart. Say, I want to win for the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I want to give it everything that I've got. I just don't want to be content to be in church and to be a, a pew filler. But I want to be one of those people who is a star. I want to be a person who lives for the Lord Jesus Christ, who makes a difference in this world. And Paul is making that statement because he knew there was something greater than where he was today. I want you to notice secondly with me this morning, verse number 13. This might be my favorite part of all of this. In verse number 13, he makes that statement, I count not myself to have apprehended. I, I don't think I've got the grip on it yet. But he says, but this one thing I do. What a great phrase it is. I want you to notice, secondly, this morning that we can't get caught up in the chaos. He says, this one thing that I do. If you've ever watched any of these championship games or these championship series, the media is swirling and everybody's trying to get an interview here and an interview there and all of that kind of stuff. And at some point, the coach has to step in and say, look, no more interviews. We're going to focus on what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And Paul makes a statement here. He says, look, I'm striving to be what God wants me to be. But there's one thing that I have to focus on. He said, I can't get caught up in all the chaos of life. And friend, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is for you to get distracted. And I do believe that distraction is the enemy of spiritual success. The devil will use anything in your life to take your eye off the prize that we're going to find in verse number 14. And I'm curious, in your life, what are the things that distract you from your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know what they may be in your own personal life. I don't know if it's your children. I don't know if it's your, your job. I don't know if it's even just church and, and doing work. And sometimes, friend, good things can become a distraction for what God would have for us. But I want to ask you very simply, what is it that the devil uses in your life to distract you from your Bible study? What is it that the devil uses in your life to distract you from your prayer and your reading time and all that kind of stuff? Friend, I want to tell you something. The goal of this church is not necessarily to be a large church, but it ought to be a goal to lead you to a proper relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I believe that there's Christians today that have a proper relationship with Jesus Christ. The numbers of this church will take care of itself. But I do know that it's an individual choice that we make that if we're going to be what God wants us to be, I can't get caught up in all of the things that are around me. We must stay focused on the truth of God's word. We must stay focused on prayer and Bible study and making sure not just that we know the stories, but we know how they apply to our lives and then actually apply that to the way that we live our lives. I used to tell my church, I pastored in Mississippi for four years. I lived in Mississippi for six years before I moved to North Carolina to travel these young people. I used to tell them all the time, the three things about Bible study that you have to do, observation, interpretation, application. We love to observe the Word of God. When you're here at church on Sunday morning, we're observing the Word of God. We hear what it says. We know what the verses say and all of that kind of stuff. What's the interpretation of that? Number three, how does it apply to my life? Friend, I fear that we get so distracted, we never even make it to step two and three. Even if you are faithful to read the word of God, I want to ask you, what did you read yesterday? And how did it change you? See, it's important for us not only to observe, but to interpret and to apply. And friend, I want to make sure that we know nothing can get in the way of what we need to do for the Lord Jesus Christ. I was reading about Chuck Swindoll's cousin who is... One of these vacation people who loves to go on vacation with no plan. Just kind of get in the car and drive. If some people are that way, how many of you are that way? Just get in the car and drive, people. I am not that way. How many of you know you burn a lot of gas and money when you don't have a plan? You know, driving around, stopping at Burger King for lunch and, you know, it's just not a good vacation. This guy was one of those kind of people and they enjoyed nature. They wanted to drive out into the woods and see you know, leaves changing and stuff like that. I love trees and animals and everything else. He's driving and he sees a sign on the side of a road and it says, naturalist camp. And he thought, this would be a great place to stop. I bet they've got squirrels in there and stuff, you know. <laughs> all sorts of animals back there in the naturalist camp. Let's turn in here, kids. His cousin, his wife, his wife. His two children in the back seat. He turns down a windy road, trees lining both sides of the road. He realizes when he sees two bicycle riders coming towards him that naturalist may not have been the definition that he thought that it should be with trees and leaves and stuff. It really probably should have said nudist colony. It would have been more appropriate. He begins to try to turn his vehicle around immediately before his children realize what's going on. And they're turning around, and he looks in the back seat, and his boy's eyes are about this big around, looking out the back windows. And he's trying the best he can to turn that car around, and he hears the worst words that you could think. Hey, Dad, look at that. (laughs) Now, at this point, you know that you've made a mistake. You know that you've driven too far down the road and, and oh no, we, we can't be fixed. Oh, dad, look at that. And so what he said, his heart sinks within him, his children in the back seat. He knows that they're going to get an education. <laughs> and his son says, hey, dad, look at that. They're not wearing any bicycle helmets. A <laughs> friend... That's focus, man. That kid was focused. There was only one thing that he was looking for, and he didn't see the the bicycle helmets. Now, I want to tell you something. That's the way we ought to be. 
there's a prize out there. There is something that is out there that we're living for that's greater than this life. And what we've got to do is miss the big picture to only see Jesus. And what I fear sometimes is we focus on everything else except the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we've got to do is say, look, I can't get caught up in this world around me. I can't get caught up in all the junk that's out there. What I've got to do is focus on Jesus no matter what else takes place. I want you to look with me as well in the second part of verse number 13. He's not getting caught up in this chaos, but what is it that he was doing? He said, there's one thing that I'm going to do. What is that? Verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I want you to notice thirdly this morning that we have to refuse to be paralyzed by the past. You say, Brother Heath, what is it that you mean by that? Well, he says, look, there's one thing I'm going to do. I'm not going to worry about the rest of the world. I'm going to do this one thing. He says, I'm going to forget those things which are behind. And friend, I want to tell you this, carrying the past into the present is always going to equal failure in your life. You say, Brother Heath, what do you mean by that? This is what I mean. That there's always sin that's going to haunt you from the past. And you say, well, I can't do anything for God because there's just too much there. I've done too much in my life for God to forgive me. Friend, can I tell you this? When you say, I can't do anything for God because I've got too much sin, then you are saying that God's forgiveness is not good enough for you. Can I say this as well? There are some things that we hold against other people. How many of you have ever held anything against somebody else? Be honest. There's four of us that are honest in the whole building. Let's turn over to Exodus and talk about bearing false witness this morning. You know, when somebody else makes you mad and people make you mad in the past, they do something dirty to you and you say something real mean about them, like, well, I wouldn't spit on them if they were on fire. You know, y'all may not say that up here in Michigan. They say that stuff where we're from. I wouldn't spit on that guy if he's on fire right there. So I, they did you dirty in the past. And hey, look, friend, you know what the Bible says? Paul says, look, I'm forgetting all that stuff that's behind me. When you can't forgive other people, you know what you're saying? God's forgiveness is not good enough for you. It's good enough for me, and and thank God that God forgave me, but I'm not going to forgive you. So guess what? God's forgiveness is not good enough for you either. Who's been done wrong in the past before? And we'll all say, look, God, I need forgiveness of my sins, but I can't forgive this other person for what they did to me a long time ago. Friend, I want to tell you this. He said, I'm forgetting all of those things which are behind all the sin, all the stuff that, that makes up your history. Look, friend, it doesn't make you too bad to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but I want you to notice something else too. Because as we travel, I find this to be true as well. Some people can't forget the past of the bad things that they've done, but some people can't forget the past of the good things that they've done. Some people are living on past victories. Some people are living a life that says, you know what? I used to teach Sunday school. I used to be faithful to God. I used to do this. Look, what does that do for you today? If you read the Bible for 20 years and stopped yesterday, what does it do for you today? Well, I've been faithful to God my whole life up until yesterday, brother Heath. You know what that does for you now? Nothing. It's not something that I can just say, hey, ah, whatever. I can't be paralyzed by what used to be. I can't be paralyzed by who I used to be, and I can't be paralyzed by what we've done in the past that's been good for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm forgetting those things which are behind us. Psalm 103, verse number 2, for those of you that struggle with being able to forgive yourself. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And friend, what we've got to do is make sure that we know Jesus forgives and Jesus removes our sin. And God still wants us to have a close relationship with him. 
And friend, if you want to be what God wants you to be, forget about what you used to be. I want you to notice lastly with me this morning, the second or the last part there, verse number 13. Reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice fourthly this morning to stay focused until you're finished. He says, going toward the mark for the prize. Literally, it's the idea of I'm going towards a goal for the prize of the upward call. You say, Brother Heath, what do you mean by the upward call? Here's the idea in verse number 14 that he says, there is a a goal line that's out there and there's a prize when I get there. And what is that goal line? It literally, in Paul's situation, the goal line was the end of his life. He said, I'm racing, I'm pushing forward to get to the end of my life. And by the way, let me say this. When he was writing this letter, he knew that death was right around the corner. He knew that he was writing his very last words as he's writing this book and and a couple of other books. And he actually writes to Timothy some of the last words that he'll ever write down. And he makes the statement to Timothy, I am now ready to be offered. He said, look, my life is over. I, I know that it's coming to an end. And he says, I'm pressing toward that day when I'll hear the upward call. You say, Brother Heath, what do you mean by that? This is what Paul is trying to say. This life is not over until he gets the prize of getting shot up. That's the word that is what it means. This life for me, I'm pushing towards that moment when Jesus calls me home. I'm pushing towards that day when I will be headed up to be with Jesus for all of this life and for all of the next life and all of eternity and all that stuff. And he said this, I can't stop because one day there's a call that's going up. I want to be a part of that call. I want to be one that goes on to be with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. I don't want to be left here. I don't want to be left behind when everybody else is gone and and Jesus Christ returns. And Philippians chapter 3 verse number 14 is one of those verses that as I read it, I say, Lord, I want to be included in that upward call. So I want to serve you until my life is over and we get to go to heaven and be with you forever. That's when we get to quit. Friend, you can't relax until Jesus calls you home. Now I think about all these players that play in the NFL and baseball players and all that kind of stuff, they take days off and, and all that kind of stuff. It always blows my mind in Major League Baseball how a player will take a day off. And I understand it's probably a grueling process to go through, but I always think, man, you just play a game, you know? I'd love to play baseball for a living. I'd love to get out there and play catch every single day. And you say, well, that's hard work. Okay, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Heath, we want to pay you $20 million to play for the next five seasons. Okay. <laughs> Where do I sign? I'm signing you. We're all signing. You know, I mean, who? of course. And I don't understand how they take a day off. And you know what he's saying right here, friend? He's saying, look, in your Christian life, you don't have the opportunity to take a day off. He literally makes the statement in verse number 14, I press toward, or it's literally the idea of running in a straight line. I can't swerve off course. I'm running straight knowing that God is coming one day and knowing that I'm going to be included in that group. So I'm going as fast as I can until Jesus calls me home. Hey, friend, that's the way we've got to live our lives. Not to have the ability to slow down. Not to have the ability to stop. But to know that one day I'll stand before Jesus Christ with my life. My friend, you may be here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You may be here this morning and you've been saved for a very, very long time. You may be here today and been saved for a very short amount of time. Every single person that's in here today has some form of a spiritual story. And I want to ask you, if today was it for you and you were to stand before Jesus Christ today, could you say, Lord, I gave you everything I had until right now? Lord, I gave you my entire life until right now. 
I have a wife and, and a daughter. My wife and I have been married for about eight years. Our daughter is almost three years old. She's absolutely the, the love of our lives, and, and, uh, and my wife is the love of my life. I absolutely love to be with her. And we got married the week after September 11th. You remember back in 2001. And we got married, and we went on our honeymoon. And on our honeymoon, my wife bought me a, a present that I would never buy for myself, but that I really wanted. And so she said, I'll, I'll buy it for you. And how many of you know, when you get married, it's your money anyway. So it's really me buying it for me. But I said, great, I'll, you know, buy me this cool present. And we went to a store, and it's a, a Mont Blanc store. I've got my Mont Blanc writing instrument right here. It's not a pen. It's a writing instrument. You can tell Mont Blancs are different from other kind of pens. You people write with pens. This is a writing instrument. It's got a little white dot on the top like that. It's black. It looks like it's silver, but it's actually dipped in platinum. It's got my name engraved on the, on the lid here. It's very special. This is actually a Mont Blanc Meisterstück. Now, some of you may have a, a Mont Blanc, so please don't ruin this for me. So just pretend I'm the only one that has one. A Swiss Army knife is dipped in platinum three times. When you buy a Swiss Army knife, it's actually platinum that those are made out of. It's dipped three times. These are dipped 30, or excuse me, 20 times, dipped in platinum, all of that right there. And it's the best writing instrument that I've ever owned. And matter of fact, when we bought it, the lady put gloves on to give it to us. She never touched it with her bare hands. I didn't want her nasty, filthy hands touching my writing <laughs> instrument. And her fingerprints all over it. They made you write with it in the store before you left to make sure that it was, uh, you know, what you wanted it to be. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And my wife allowed me to have this. A couple weeks later, we got a thank you card in the mail for buying my Mont Blanc Meisterstück. Now, Walmart has never done this before. I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars at Walmart. I've never gotten a thank you card from Walmart for spending all that money with keeping those Walton kids Wealthy, I guess. We got a thank you card in the mail. This writing instrument costs a lot of money. $218. The air let out of the auditorium. $218. How many of you in your mind, or you made a set out of your mouth to the person sitting beside you, $218 for a pen? You know? It's not a pen, people. It's a writing instrument. You weren't paying attention earlier. They're handcrafted. They're made overseas, very exclusive. There's only 150 stores across the world. This is really special to me. I really enjoy it. You say, Brother Heath, what is it that makes that writing instrument so special? There's two things that make this special. It's handcrafted by somebody who made it, and that's what gives it value. Number one is who made it, and number two is how much people will pay to have one. And friend, I will tell you something. There's a reason why every single person in here is special today. Number one, because of who made you. God handcrafted you. There's nothing that God did in your life that was by accident. He made you exactly the way you are. God made you. That gives you value. But number two, because of how much he paid to have you. Jesus Christ died on a cross so that you and I could be his for eternity. Hey, friend, if, if we're that valuable to him, then we have to keep working until this life is over. If he died for me, then it's asking very, very little.
for me to give the rest of my life to him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, with nobody looking around, you're here this morning. You've been running the race for Jesus Christ. You've been pressing toward the mark. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you, keep serving the Lord. Keep pressing on. But you know that the devil has crept in. You know that the devil has distracted you. Maybe there's some sin that's in your life. Maybe there's some things that are in your past. Maybe there's some things that are right now in your present that the devil is using to keep you from serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, friend, I want to encourage you, wherever you may be in this auditorium, come to the altar. Ask the Lord to help you. There's somebody here today, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Friend, I want to tell you, God knows you, he loves you, he made you, and he died on the cross to save you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, with nobody looking around, Pastor Don is going to begin to play. You're here today and you say, Brother Heath, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? God has spoken to my heart. There are some things in my life as I'm pressing towards the mark, as I'm running this race, and I've been slowing down. I've been taking some time off. I haven't been doing exactly everything that God would have for me to do, and I know one day there's a call that's going to come. Brother Heath, I want you to pray for me that God would help me, and God has spoken to my heart. If that's you, would you slip up your hand very quickly, put it right back down, all over this building. I see you. Thank you. I see you right there. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Brother Heath, would you pray for me? I see you right there. Thank you. Anybody else? I see you. Thank you in the back. I see you right there. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Brother Heath, would you pray for me? I see you right there. Thank you so much. Over here to my right. Anybody else? I see you right there. Thank you so much. Anybody else? God, speak into your heart. I want to ask you one more question, and then I'm going to invite you to come to this altar and open this altar. But you're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Friend, he died for you. If you were to stand before Jesus Christ today, you're not sure if he would let you into heaven. And you say, Brother Heath, would you pray for me? I may not be a Christian. I may not be saved. If I was to die today, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven when I die. Is there anybody in here that would be that honest? Very quickly, put your hand up, put it right back down. I just want to pray for you. Is there anybody here today? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you would stand to your feet as Pastor Don begins to sing, if God has spoken to your heart, would you slip out from where you are and come for a time of prayer around this altar? Don't hesitate to slip out from your seat and make a way down here and pray to the Lord Jesus Christ that he would help you. We all need it. And Pastor Don begins to sing. message. I, I promise you I'll pray for you this week. I used to ask my church this every week. 
and I'll make a mental note of your hand and your face. You say, Brother Heath, would you pray for me? There's some needs. I got some things coming up in my life. Is that you? Could you slip your hand up very quickly? Put it right back down. I just want to pray. Thank you. I see you right there. Who else? I see you there. Thank you. I see you right there. Thank you. I see you back there. I see you in the back. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you so much. I see you. I see you right there. Thank you so much. I see you, man. Thank you. Anybody else? Let's go to Lord in prayer together. Father, I thank you so much for what you've done for us. I pray that you would be with us in the rest of this invitation. Lord, be with this church, Lord, as they live for you. We love you and thank you. Give you praise and glory for it all. In Jesus' name, I